this week's edition of Honestly Speaking with Tara, where telling the truth in a time of universal deceit is a revolutionary act. Well, I hope everyone had a great Father's Day. Um, Father's Day just passed, which is cool. Dads kind of get the shaft. They don't get the same amount of attention as Mom's day, Mother's Day. But for all the good dads out there, happy Father's Day. We spent ours out in Annapolis sailing out on the Chesapeake Bay on this really cool schooner called Schooner Woodwind. And we love the water, so that was a, it was a beautiful day, great day to go sailing. And I didn't even know when we made that decision that this was the same schooner that was used in the movie Wedding Crashers. So anyone who's a fan of that movie, hysterical movie, one of my favorites. And when the boating scene, when they go out on the yacht to go boating, that was the, um, the same schooner. So that was kind of cool. So we did that. That was beautiful. So hope everybody had a great Father's Day. This episode um, is a really cool one because I have my colleague at CNN, Jim Acosta, on to talk about his new book, The Enemy of the People. And um, I really wanted to get him on because, you know, Jim can be a controversial figure to some, beloved by many. He's uh, also reviled by many if you're on the other side because he gives Trump a hard time. But his approach to reporting and be asking tough questions has been a subject of a lot of discussion in the era of Trump. So he decided to write this book, The Enemy of the People, A Dangerous Time to Tell the Truth in America. Really good book. Great read. Gives you an inside look into his experience covering Donald Trump. Compares it to some other administrations and just how abnormal all of this really is. I mean, it's really not normal what's going on in this White House, especially from a press perspective. So Jim will be coming up in a little bit. A great interview. And uh, he gives some good tidbits about some things. Um, but you got to read the book, too. So stay tuned for Jim Acosta. Other big news, and I'll talk a little bit about some stuff before I get into that interview. Sarah Sanders, gone. She is leaving the White House. It was announced a couple days ago. And I say, good riddance. She is one of the most, uh, what's the word? What words do I want to use to describe her? I I just can't tell you how much she makes my skin crawl. And I I don't like to say that about many people, but every time she opened her mouth, I was just like, I just wanted to be like, just shut up. She was so obnoxious and passive aggressive and dismissive of the press. Now, you're always going to have a certain amount of back and forth with the press. There was always a certain tension with the press and and the White House. And that's okay. That that part was normal. What wasn't normal was how much of a liar she was. I've never seen anything like this. She just outright lied to the American people on a daily basis. Or, well, not so much daily anymore because they got rid of the White House press briefing. But it, 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 she was unquestionably a liar. And the Mueller report confirmed this. And once the Mueller report came out and confirmed that she said under oath that she completely made up something she said at the podium, talking about um, after Comey got fired, she said she heard from a lot of FBI agents that were happy that he was being fired. That was bullshit. She knew it. She made it up. And under oath, she admitted that she made it up. She should have been gone right then, as soon as that was revealed. But you realize we really haven't seen much of her since then? Sure, because her credibility was shot. I mean, she didn't have much credibility to begin with. But 
Trump loved her because she went out there and made a fool of herself every single time she was on that podium. And I say good riddance. Another liar bites the dust. Have fun back in Arkansas. Did you see her the the her um, farewell press conference and how she was like saying it was the greatest honor of her life to serve Donald Trump and this administration? Real has it? You can't even go out in public now because you're you're you were such a disgrace. Great honor. Okay, if this is the greatest honor of your life, I feel sorry for you, sweetheart. Have fun back in Arkansas. Um, Kellyanne Conway, another disgrace came out this week, uh, last week, a couple days ago, that the Office of Special Counsel recommended that she be fired for her violations of the Hatch Act. Now, this Office of Special Counsel is not Robert Mueller's special counsel office. It's a different office. It's a little, uh, not, I don't want to say little known, but I guess it's a little known office for people outside of government because they really deal with a very specific uh, area. The Office of Special Counsel they pretty much investigate wrongdoing. So when whistleblowers come forward about um, government workers now, government whistleblowers come forward, they want to report wrongdoing that they've seen and they want with protection under, under the Whistleblower Act. They go to the Office of Special Counsel and they investigate these accusations and protect the whistleblowers. So I'm assuming, and, and the person who runs the head of the special counsel's office is appointed by the president. So it is in a presidential appointed situ, um, position. Now, like I said, it usually deals with whistleblowers. So someone uh, probably reported Kellyanne and because she has been out there constantly violating the Hatch Act. What's the Hatch Act? It basically says that when you are a federal government employee, you are not allowed to engage in political campaigning while you're on the taxpayer's dime in your official capacity as a federal worker. So it's not to mix politics with your work because you're being paid by the taxpayers. That's why we have campaign finance laws. That's why it's important to separate those two things. Now, I don't think that anyone's ever been prosecuted necessarily under the Hatch Act, but you, I think it's civil penalties. But you can be fired for it. And the recommendation out of this office of special counsel office was that Kellyanne needs to be fired. She has violated this over and over again, and she's been defiant, which makes it worse. Somebody asked her about this a couple of weeks ago, and she was like, eh, let me know when the jail sentence starts. What? A, how obnoxious. I, I just I don't know. Is it something in the water over there at the White House? Sarah Sanders was obnoxious. Kellyanne has turned into this obnoxious individual liar. I just, what, and they just flout the law. They don't care. They're above the law now. You know, Kellyanne was one of those people who went after the Clintons for their violations during the 90s. That rose her, that rose her profile. That's how she became so well known. One of the reasons in the conservative Republican circles with her polling firm and her, you know, attacks on the Clintons. <laughs> That's how she met her husband, actually. George Conway was one of the one of the conservative lawyers behind the whole Paula Jones thing in the 90s and the Clinton impeachment. He was helping out with that. That's how they met. But apparently for Kellyanne doesn't apply to her. She goes out there and makes disparaging comments about Trump's opponents and about you know his political opponents with no consequence. Trump's not going to fire her. He actually said that this was a violation of her free speech. 
He was on Fox and Friends. I don't know if anybody saw that interview uh, last Friday, which was bonkers as usual. I'm also going to talk about that ABC interview in a minute. But on Fox and Friends, he said, oh, well, it's a violation. You know, Kellyanne's wonderful, blah, blah, blah. She's just defending me. And it's a violation of her free speech. No, it's not. No, it's not. The Supreme Court has upheld the Hatch Act twice. It is not free speech to engage in political campaigning while you're on the job as a federal worker. The end. So that's a bullshit excuse also. It's not a violation of free speech. Um, but we're going to be stuck with her. She's not going anywhere unless the president... Uh, I don't think he's going to do it or unless she walks away finally. Or I don't know. It's already cost her, looks like her, her marriage. I just don't understand that situation. At least George is still staying steady on his, his um, with his criticisms of the president. But I, I just don't know what that's like at home. That dynamic, my God. Anyway. So yeah, Kellyanne, violation of the Hatch Act and she doesn't care. Let me know when the jail sentence starts. Oh, just... It's infuriating these people. So speaking of polling, because that's where Kellyanne came from. She used to be a pollster. The president has been obsessed. It's been reported with the fact that the internal polling from his his pollsters in the campaign pollsters. It was a 17 state poll, poll that showed that he was behind in a lot of battleground states that he needs, like Michigan, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, Florida. Now, CNN and other news outlets reported on this polling weeks ago. So it was kind of known already that there had been polling out there, not necessarily Trump's internal polls, but that there were other polls out there showing Trump behind, especially Biden. But during the ABC interview, this came up again. And Trump at first denied that these polls even existed, denied it. But then somehow a little birdie leaked the internal Trump polling information that confirmed it, and he went ballistic. So he had to come back and correct it and then claim that the polls were fake. There's fake polling. Well, it wasn't. His own campaign manager had to come out and confirm it existed, any Brad Parscale. And he said, yeah, well, Trump is down 10 points in Wisconsin, 16 points in, in Pennsylvania, and seven points in Florida. Now, the, the crazy part about this is that Trump went on Fox and Friends the day after the ABC interview, part, parts of it aired, and the story was starting to come up that he was denying that this internal polling even existed. And he went on Fox and Friends and said, oh, we're doing great. We're winning everywhere. I'm winning big time in Florida. And places like that, that's not, none of that's true. We're winning. Now, the New York Times reported that Trump was telling people, you're not going to acknowledge that these polls exist. And if anything, you're going to lie about them. You're going to lie. We're going to lie. Well, he tried to claim that the New York Times story was fake news. That's before the polls actually leaked. And that was before he went out there trying to say that he's winning everywhere which was exactly the playbook that he told his campaign people to use. Well, we're going to lie about it. (laughs) Well, shockingly, Trump's a liar. So it's shocking that he went out there and lied about it and then was exposed for completely lying about it when the polling leaked. Well, as a result of that, Trump has fired a bunch of his pollsters. (laughs) Oh, that 
that's not going to help change the polls there, buddy. I got news for you. It's not. But he's obsessed with it. And he should be. Right? He's losing. He can't win the presidency again if he can't win Florida or Michigan or Wisconsin or definitely not Pennsylvania. If he doesn't win those states, he's toast. But we're a long ways out, folks. Long ways out. But still, I just think it's funny, sad, and infuriating all at the same time. Because whenever he does this, like he can't help it. it. Like it percolates up and then he just blows and his mouth, he's getting like diarrhea of the mouth. Either that or he goes on Twitter and tweets away crazy shit, basically telegraphing what he said, what he's thinking. It never fails if it's something that he's really obsessed over. And you know his image is something he's really obsessed over. So this incident here with the internal polling is just so revealing about how this campaign is going to go. He's just going to lie, 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 lie through this whole thing. And we've got to keep calling him out. I think the Washington Post is now over 10,000 false statements or lies. 10,000. Insane. The Democrats, uh, in two weeks, there are debates coming up, speaking of the Democrats. And Joe Biden, even though he still has a lead, some of his lead has shrunk a little bit. And Elizabeth Warren's gaining, making some gains. Pete Buttigieg, which not surprising. People like him. I like him. He's an impressive guy. I don't agree with his policies. I'm not a progressive, but at least he's thoughtful. At least he's thoughtful. Everybody knows that I like Biden also because I think he's an elder statesman. And yeah, he's a gaffe machine at times, but I'll take him at least uh, you know over what we've got now. At least we know he's an honorable guy, for God's sakes. And I think he can handle Trump. So we'll we'll, we'll see. But Biden's got to survive this primary. So I was very disappointed. I talk, talk, talked about this last week. I was disappointed in his position on the Hyde Amendment, switching like that. Nobody wants a flip-flopper. flip-flopper. So I hope he doesn't do that too much on major things. It will hurt him if he makes it through the primary. It will hurt him in the general. But uh, two weeks, we're going to see the, the debate. I just hope the Democrats don't make the mistake that Republicans made. Some of these Democrats need to get the hell out of this race. 23 of them. Get the hell out of the race. De Blasio, people hate you. No one wants you in this race. What are you doing, dude? Like, go away. Nobody, they don't even like you in New York. So what is he doing in the race? Oh, Eric Swalwell, Marina, Marianne Williamson, Andrew Yang. Get out of the race. You don't stand a chance. But we'll see what happens on this debate stage. I think Trump dodged a bullet by not getting Elizabeth Warren in the first, because they were splitting it up. There's two debates, because there's too many of them. So there's night one and night two. And I think Trump dodged a bullet by not having to face Elizabeth Warren in the first debate, because I think that she's going to give him a hard time, especially over bankruptcy and corporate interests. They've had, they have a long-time beef from years ago when she was with the Consumer Protection Agency, and bankruptcy law and Trump and uh, not Trump. Biden was a senator. You know, Biden's from Delaware. A lot of corporations incorporate there because they have very friendly laws for corporations and taxes. So that's going to be something she's going to hit him on. So, and you know, he's a little rusty. She's been out there on the trail. He's been chilling uh, in retirement now that he's out of it. But he's he's going to have to shake off the cobwebs. So at least he doesn't have to face her in the first debate, which I think is good for him. But we'll see. Stay tuned for that. All right. Now I've got to talk about this ABC interview before I bring in Jim Acosta. So last week, there were a bunch of excerpts that came out from this interview first. 
and the excerpts were horrifying, absolutely horrifying, because the, the, the biggest one that came out first was Trump saying that he wouldn't necessarily call the FBI if a foreign, if a foreign government offered information on his political opponent. Of course, everyone went, what? What the hell do you mean you wouldn't call the FBI? You know, he said, oh, well, maybe I would, but I would listen. And if I saw, if I didn't think anything was wrong with it, then no. And like, so, so Trump did this big interview with George Stephanopoulos from ABC. And I thought George did a good job, actually. It's so hard to interview the president, especially as much, as long as he did. He spent 30 hours with Trump. Imagine 30 hours with this freaking lunatic, 30 hours with Trump. And imagine working for this guy. So they so they released some excerpts last week, and then they released the full um, interview. Obviously, edited down. They couldn't show thirty weeks. I mean, thirty hours. But they showed the full interview on um, on Sunday night, and they released the transcript, the full transcript. I, it, it, this guy's insane. I don't even know where to start. So I'll start with the with the FBI stuff. I have to. I have some notes. So I'm gonna pull them up because there was a lot going on there. So he said that if it, this whole idea of foreign interference in the election was what Volume One was about in the Mueller report, right? So you would think this would be of interest to the president that to make sure that wouldn't happen again. Well, no. He keeps claiming it was a witch hunt, nothing happened, no collusion, blah, blah, blah. But again, if you read volume one, there may not have been a criminal conspiracy between Trump's campaign and the Russians, but they were willing to take stolen information. They were willing to do it. The Trump Tower meeting is evidence in and of itself. But the Mueller report outlines a lot of other things that should be very alarming to people that is not okay. They dodged a bullet because they weren't smart enough or competent enough to actually engage in a criminal conspiracy. So they were lucky. And Mueller talks about collusion was never on the table because collusion's not actually a legal term in this, in this sense, outside of like white collar crime. So collusion was never going to happen. But this is Trump's marketing skills, repeating no collusion, no collusion, no collusion, no objection, no conclusion, no collusion. You repeat something enough times and then people believe it, right? Well, this is one of those examples for for his cultists, not for people who are objectively looking at this. And if you read the Mueller report, there's no way you can look at this and and think that the Trump campaign is completely hands clean. No way. But the idea that the president of the United States would not call the FBI if he was approached by a foreign government or foreign government uh, intelligence service I don't care who it was, should be appalling to everyone. Now, George, to his credit, because he used to work for the Clintons, so George understands politics very well. He was part of the war room. He was there when the Clintons were going through the impeachment stuff. So he's very savvy when it comes to political communications crisis. He understands it. So George asked him and said, well, wait, hold on. He pushed back a few times, thank God, at least about the idea that you wouldn't call the FBI. Trump actually said, I've seen a lot of things. I've never called the FBI. Oh, come on. That's not how the world works. What do you mean that's not how the world works? Maybe not in the criminal world. 
Trump hung around with a lot of mafia guys. He hung around with Roy Cohn, who was a mafia lawyer and a horrible person. So yeah, maybe that's how those people don't behave. But ethical people call the freaking FBI. George Stephanopoulos brought up the fact that during the 2000 election, someone slipped a, a, a briefing book, a debate briefing book to the Gore campaign from uh, Bush's you know, briefing book. A debate prep, I'm sorry, debate prep. And that staffer went right to the FBI. That's what you're supposed to do. And that wasn't even foreign that we know of. So come on. This is insane. I mean, how does anybody believe that Donald Trump is acting in the best interest of America? He acts in the best interest of himself, even at the expense of national security, even at the expense of the integrity of our elections. That in and of itself is freaking impeachable, in my opinion. And so many Republicans stayed silent or made excuses. There was a couple of Republicans that said, well, <laughs> nothing wrong with that. Trump tried to say, oh, well, just ask any congressman. They, they all do it. No, they don't. All congressmen don't take interference from foreign entities for their for opposition research. No, that's not normal. And they tried to make the comparison that the Steele dossier, that was Clintons did that. They're the ones who violated the law. No, completely different. Again, the Steele dossier was first paid for by Republicans to try to get dirt on Trump. But then once Trump won the nomination, it got passed off to Fusion GPS, who contracted out to Christopher Steele, who is a private citizen, no longer with British intelligence, to help get some information on this Russia stuff, because everyone was so suspicious of Donald Trump's involvement with Russia. That is very different than a foreign intelligence service from an enemy country like Russia interfering in our election, hacking into the DNC, hacking into election offices, hacking into the Clinton campaign, and stealing information. That's very different. So there is no comparison. And this BS about the FISA application that, that you keep hearing, oh, the the corrupt FBI, the FISA application, and Carter Page, blah, the spying on the campaign, which he said many times, by the way, also during this ABC interview, accusing the President Obama of spying on the campaign and that he was part of this grand conspiracy. Carter Page, that, that FISA was opened up in September, which was months after the counterintelligence investigation was already opened on the Trump campaign because of George Papadopoulos bragging in a London bar about Russians approaching him with dirt on Hillary Clinton. He said it to an Australian diplomat. That was in the spring of 2016. July of 2016 is when the counterintelligence investigation opened up once it was found out that the DNC had been hacked by Russian operatives. And then the Australians said, holy shit, maybe Papadopoulos wasn't bullshitting. And they went to their American counterparts and said, hey, you guys ought to know this. That's how it started. I'm so sick of the lies they keep telling about this. It's, in, it's infuriating. But millions of people, these Trump people and people on Fox News are being told this bullshit, trying to investigate the investigators, making it seem like there was something untoward going on. There was not. And here's something else. If the, quote, deep state wanted to take Donald Trump down so badly, 
why the hell didn't they leak the fact that Trump's campaign was under investigation during the election? That would have sunk Trump, and he admitted that, that that would have been a fatal blow, especially after the Access Hollywood video. So I'm sorry. If there was such a conspiracy and they wanted him out, that that could have leaked. But it didn't. Because it's a red herring. They don't have anything else. They don't have anything else. It's all to distract from how out of control Trump was. Other parts of this interview that were just bonkers. Um, oh, George Stephanopoulos asked him about the obstruction stuff with Don McGahn. And, you know, what happened with him asking Don McGahn to fire Bob Mueller. This happened. It is in the Mueller report, folks. I encourage everyone to read the Mueller report, even if you don't want to read the whole thing, read the summaries. Or if you want more specifics, because it's actually quite juicy, volume two, volume two is with obstruction, depending on how you feel about the Russians, that's volume one. But volume two, the whole obstruction stuff, page 85 to 120 really gets to the heart of the Mueller-McGahn episodes and the multiple instances of obstruction of justice. It's very detailed. The evidence is there. It's clear, and it says so, that Trump instructed Don McGahn to fire Mueller at least twice. McGahn talked about how Trump was asking him to do crazy shit. It talks about how he was getting ready to resign. It gives all the examples of where Trump specifically told McGahn to fire Mueller. And then when McGahn wouldn't do it, he tried to get Corey Lewandowski to do it. He tried to get Jeff Sessions to unrecuse himself. I mean, there were all kinds of examples. And he, during the interview with George Stephanopoulos, he just lied on Don McGahn. Now remember, Don McGahn's refusing to testify. He's refusing right now. I don't understand why Don McGahn is still protecting this president. He's insulted him. He's called him a liar. He said in the George in the George Stephanopoulos interview, in the ABC interview, he said that he was never going to fire Mueller. Quote, I don't care what McGahn says. Um, he said that McGahn was just trying to make himself look good, like a good lawyer, because George asked him, well, then why would he lie under oath to the special counsel? It's all in the report what he said. I don't know why. He's trying to make himself look good. Really? Don McGahn, I implore you. You've got to testify, man, for the good of the country. Put country over party. This guy is is unfit to be president. He lied. He obstructed justice. And you hold the, the key for the American public to really hear it. I mean, it's all there in the Mueller report. But it has a different impact when it comes from a live person. He also said other things about Mueller. He was saying, no, 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 Mueller was just conflicted. And, I, and Don McGahn misheard me. No, he didn't. And Mueller was not conflicted. Two other lies that Trump keeps putting out there about Mueller, because you see now the tactic is to, is to attack Mueller, to attack the report. Now the report omitted things and it was factually inaccurate. That's the new line now from the Trump sycophants about this. They're attacking Mueller, who was an honorable guy before, remember. Oh, no, he was the gold standard according to Kellyanne Conway. Even Trump called him an honorable guy when he thought he was being exonerated. That was before the full report came out. Because <laughs> it, does, it does no such thing. 
And and Trump kept trying to say that. And George, to his credit, pushed back and said, that's not what the Mueller report says. And Trump would say, well, you need to read it. You need to read it. And he was like, I have read it. And that's not what it says. <laughs> Trump hasn't read it. Because if he read it, I think he would just completely blow his stack. And speaking, did, did anybody see how red Trump looked? He looked horrible. I, I think it's been reported before, like kind of in gossipy publications that Trump actually applies his own makeup after makeup people do it. Because there's no credible makeup person on the planet who would allow their client to go out on TV or out in public looking like Trump does. No way. There's no way. So, but he looked terrible. He looked redder than usual and had those horrible raccoon eyes. He just, he looked terrible. He looked bloated and really red and awful. But anyway, that's just an aside. So two big lies that Trump was pushing again, that Mueller was conflicted, that he tried to apply for the FBI job. That's a lie. Mueller never applied for the FBI job. He didn't necessarily want it. When he went to the White House, he went there kind of as a sort a reference point, like a source of like, I was FBI director for 10 years and here are some guidelines, things you should know like that. It was had, he was not trying to apply for the FBI. Even Steve Bannon admitted that for God's sakes. Trump tried to dismiss Steve Bannon, not knowing what was going on. But Steve Bannon was the, was the chief strategist at the time. He knew and he testified about it. So everybody lies with Trump, right? Bullshit. The other thing that they try to push is this idea that there was some business transaction with the Trump golf course and Robert Mueller. That is partially true, but there was no conflict. So Bob Mueller, back in the day, his family had a membership to Trump's golf course out here in Northern Virginia. After he was working in the city more, they didn't live near the golf course anymore, they decided to cancel the membership. So they wanted to know if they could get part of their initiation fee back. That was like 12 years ago. It was nowhere, no recent time. And it was worked out. Something was worked out with it. And it was like a couple hundred dollars or something like that. Like it was nothing of significance. And it had, there was no conflict. There was no like bitterness. There was a lawsuit, nothing like that. But in Trump's sick mind, he's got to have a foil. He's got to have an enemy. And, and so this was his stretch. And people, multiple people told Trump that that was ridiculous and that Mueller was not conflicted, including the Department of Justice, because they looked at it. If Mueller was conflicted, he would not have been able to be appointed special counsel. So that's a bunch of bullshit also, just lies. Something else that I found interesting too about Trump talking about the McGahn exchanges. I mean, I'm not a lawyer, and maybe the next legal guest I have, I'll ask them, but I think that Trump waives executive privilege when he talks about these incidents, because they're trying to claim executive privilege over discussions with McGahn. But it's already in the Mueller report, so that can't be executive privilege either. So their legal arguments to try to protect these conversations, I think, is out the window, the more that Trump talks about it. But that's just my observation. Something else that Stephanopoulos asked him was about this obstruction stuff. You saw him get uncomfortable. He's like, I answered these questions. I answered them. You know, he called, he called George a wise guy. Oh, well, that's typical for guys like you. You're a Hillary friend and blah, blah, blah. You know, typical, but you can see when Trump gets uncomfortable and George was like, you didn't answer any questions about obstruction though. He's like, I answered questions. They were in writing, but he goes, yeah, but they weren't about obstruction. Cause if you remember, the written questions did not include obstruction. 
they worked at a quote deal with a special prosecutor because Trump refused to testify in public. In, I mean, in, in, in person. Well, of course, because he can't he can't tell you what time it is without lying. So his lawyers were like, there's no way that we're putting this guy under oath with Mueller. No freaking way. Could you imagine? But Trump didn't he didn't answer those questions. There was a deal. So he didn't talk anything about obstruction. <laughs> he said, um, it was very simple. There was no crime. It was all a setup. President Obama had to know about it. You know, this whole thing was a setup. Ridiculous. He talked about impeachment, whining about how no president's ever been harassed like this and it should never happen again. No president's ever been so mistreated. I've been treated so unfairly. Wah, wah, wah. Full of shit. But he also says that President Obama used his administration's intelligence agencies to spy on his campaign. There's no evidence of that, by the way. No evidence that the predicate for opening the counterintelligence investigation was illegal. I would hope that's what you would want, given what we knew was going on with the Russians and Trump people. That's what you would want the FBI to do, wouldn't it be? They would have been derelict in their duty if they hadn't looked into it, in my opinion. And in the opinion of a lot of other people. Oh, speaking of a lot of other people, George Stephanopoulos asked him about, well, what about the thousand former prosecutors who signed a letter that said if you hadn't been president, you would have been indicted on obstruction? He was like, oh, those are a bunch of politicians. They're Trump haters. Trump haters. I know more about prosecutors than you do. They're all politicians. Really? Then he goes on the tangent. Comey and Clinton, they're the ones who committed crimes. Hillary Clinton deleted 33,000 emails. Enough with Hillary Clinton. I can't stand her either. But she's not president. Enough. Who cares? And she was cleared. So anyway, again, like I said, they don't have anything. And it's all just a distraction. He talks about um, impeachment. I I already talked about that. Oh, Two things. So Ivanka. So like I said, 30, 30 hours of following Trump all around. They were in Iowa. Then they were back in, in D.C. And they put on a dog and pony show of meetings and things in front of the cameras for for Steph, Stephanopoulos and ABC. And there was one set where a, a scene where Ivanka is in the Oval Office with Larry Kudlow, the chief economic advisor. And they're talking about jobs and how they're going to have a meeting with The Wall Street Journal to talk about jobs. I was like, ugh. Ivanka Trump has no business being in the freaking White House. And I've said this many times. Nothing qualifies her to be a senior advisor to the president. What has she actually done and what does she do? Other than to be an object of affection for her father. That whole situation is gross. Her and her husband, by the way, made $135 million last year. Mm-hmm. While they're working in the White House. Yeah, that's not a conflict of interest at all. No, there's nothing, there's nothing untoward going on there. It's ridiculous. Could you imagine... If Chelsea Clinton was making and her husband were making a hundred plus million dollars a year while they were employed as a senior advisors to Hillary. No, they're not taking government salaries. Well, thank you very much for that. But you can't tell me they're not profiting off the access they have. It's unbelievable that they get away with this crap. They also had a they also had a scene where Melania was there too, sitting in on some opioid meeting. Really? What do you do? They, they, they pried her out from where, whatever cave they keep her in or wherever she usually is because she's never around. All of a sudden, oh, she's, she's involved in opioid meetings. Okay. And uh, another thing. 
And now this stuff with Melania. So at the end of the interview, the ABC interview, Trump comes out and shows the new renderings of the new Air Force One redesign. So of course, Air Force One has looked the way it looks for 50 years, 11 administrations. And of course, Trump has to come in and ruin it like he does with everything. Just like he's ruining the 4th of July celebration here in Washington by changing the over again, 50 year tradition of, of the fireworks in the mall and what they do. And it's a whole thing. It's a, it's a well-oiled machine. It's beautiful. 4th of July here is really cool. Trump wants to have a freaking Trump rally at the, at the Lincoln Memorial, which is going to upset everything. Not, not surprising because he's got to put his own grubby hands and everything he touches dies. Just like my friend, Rick Wilson's book title. And it's true. Tradition is out the window with this guy. So they show the pictures of the new Air Force One. And guess what? It looks a whole lot like Trump's personal plane. It's red, white, and blue, but the same kinds of colors. It looks very similar that you see a side by side of the new Air Force One design that Trump very proudly said he was very involved in. What the hell are you doing involved in redesigning Air Force One? Don't you have a country to run? Don't we have like bigger problems and you're obsessing over things like the 4th of July celebration in Washington and Air Force One? And what was the reason why this was controversial, not only because it looks like his plane, but also because it was supposed to be an homage to Jackie O because she loved the color light blue. So after Kennedy was assassinated, this was like something I don't well, I don't know if it was before or after he was assassinated, but she liked the color because it used to be orange before it was really ugly. And so she that's why they designed the colors of Air Force One and everyone has kept it that way. No, but Trump's got to come in and ruin that, too. So then, of course, people commented on this and he went on Fox and Friends and said, I got to make sure I have this quote right. (laughs) He goes on Fox and Friends. I have it in my notes right here. And he says, we have our own Jackie O. It's called Melania. We'll call it Melania T. Okay. That's exactly what he said. He referred to his wife as it. We'll call it Melania T. It's, it's called Melania. What? What a weirdo. And how disrespectful. I mean, I'm no fan of Melania's. I mean, she looks great and that's about all she's good for, but she's a willing accomplice in all this. And I have no sympathy for her at all. I mean, she was a freaking model. There's pictures out there of her semi-nude, okay? And these evangelicals hold her up as some kind of like new Jackie O. Like, I have to, I'll admit this. My mom, a friend of my mom's, she's a big evangelical. Her and her husband are big Trump people. And it's caused a rift in our family friendship, actually, because they're a bunch of hypocrites and we call them out on it. And this was an example. She put on how whining about, oh, Melania is never on any magazine covers and she's never, uh, it's unfair the way they treat her. She's never on magazine covers like Michelle. So my mom said, oh no, she's in, she's been in plenty of magazines. <laughs> my mom, I love her. <laughs> she posted like the semi nude pictures that are out there of Melania in like these like really provocative poses. If anybody's ever seen it, it's in British GQ and she's on Trump's plane with her ass out and her tits out. I mean, it's, it's, it's pretty provocative stuff. And this is who the evangelical community holds up as some like 
you know, <laughs> come on, come on, people. Let's, let's let's keep being honest. Yeah, they didn't say anything. I'm assuming that by now the, that that person has taken those postings from my mom down because they don't want to face the truth. They don't want to admit it. But yeah, the new Jackie O. No, I'm sorry. Melania Trump is no Jackie O. At all. And of course, Trump talked about the media and he attacked the media, calling them enemies, corrupt, all of that. And George Stephanopoulos asked him if he felt that was dangerous. And he and if he no, he doesn't. He doesn't think so because they are. They're all dishonest. Not all the media. Right. Not Fox because they're state run. Right. They're his favorite place. But everybody else, they make stuff up. Well, we all know that the media is not perfect but they certainly are not the enemy of the people. Um, and I think that's a great transition into my guest this week, Jim Acosta, who is here to talk about his new book, The Enemy of the People, A Dangerous Time to Tell the Truth in America. I'm so pleased this week for my guest on Honestly Speaking to be one of my CNN colleagues and the author of a new book that I think is so important for people to read. It's called The Enemy of the People, A Dangerous Time to Tell the Truth in America by CNN's chief White House correspondent, Jim Acosta. Jim, welcome to Honestly Speaking with Tara. I'm so pleased to have you. Thank you, Tara. I'm really pleased to be with you, too. So um, you, you've become uh, quite the the infamous figure in the white in the Trump during the Trump era because of your yeah. dogged reporting and um, with CNN being in the crosshairs all the time. Uh, I, the first thing I wanted to ask you, though, because this is just in the news, is about Sarah Sanders, and then we'll get into the book. Right. You also talk about her in the book. What do you think about the news of her leaving the White House? Well, I guess it came as a surprise that it happened yesterday, but it's not really a surprise. Uh, it, it felt like something that was coming uh, soon. Uh, you know, she hasn't had a briefing in more than 90 days uh, towards the tail end of when she was having those briefings. Uh, typically, the questions that were being asked were about, you know, well, Sarah, you know, previously you said uh, this, and it turned out to be something else. You know, and in the Mueller report, for example, uh, you know, she admits to federal investigators in the Mueller report report that she passed on false information to reporters in a White House briefing. Uh, that obviously was going to get uh, asked quite a bit, I think, if she were to have another briefing. And, um, you know, what she's done instead recently, Tara, is she will go do a live interview on Fox News on the North Lawn of the White House at their live position. And then if she feels like it, she'll stop in the driveway and talk to the rest of us. And that's but that's been essentially what's passed for a briefing, if you want to call it that, over the last three months. And, you know, just so our, our listeners understand here, there's a difference. Okay, so the cameras are there, but, you know, we don't have microphones on the reporters. So you can't really hear the reporters' questions. And another thing I've been telling folks lately, you don't have a stenographer in the room with a, with a recording device to record everything that's said by the press secretary. One of the things, as you know, because you worked in politics for some time, when we did a White House briefing in the briefing room, you'd have the briefing room transcript, and it would be a public record of what the press secretary, remember a taxpayer-funded right. you know, employee of the federal government, has to say about this issue and that issue. And I thought that was always immensely helpful to reporters because we could go back and say, well, they said 
this on this date. Uh, what about uh, now? You know, we could compare and contrast. And that just doesn't exist anymore. And I, I sure hope that the next press secretary, whoever that is, brings it back because it is something that is sorely needed uh, when it comes to journalists uh, trying to sort out what's happening at the White House. Oh, come on, Jim. Real stenographers don't take notes. I've never heard of such a thing. <laughs> well, they have they have that they, we call them the stenos, but they have you know they'll usually record it. You'll see these yeah. these folks sitting like in front of the front reporters. row of the briefing room, and yeah, and yeah. It, it's it's very helpful. Um, for those who didn't get the joke, it is if you've read the Mueller report, there is a section in there where Donald Trump is questioning why White House Counsel Don McGahn is taking notes during their conversation, oh, right. <laughs> and he says, "What lawyers don't take notes?" I, and, and Don McGahn said, "Well, I'm a real lawyer, so that that was the joke for that." Um, One of the many highlights from that report. That's yes, right. yeah, high or low lights, depending on what perspective you're looking at it from. Uh, yeah. You talk about in your book that uh, something, because I think Sarah Sanders is a fascinating figure. I mean, I, I was a congressional press secretary, communications director for seven years. And watching the way that this White House has completely changed the relationship between the press and and the White House has been troubling to me as someone who studied this in political science and I had a minor in journalism from GW. I watched this and Sarah Sanders is probably for me one of the most frustrating figures to watch because she was just so dishonest every single day. And in your book, you talk about um, that you that she actually used to get along with the press and then something changed um, to the point where she even threatened you on a couple of occasions. Can you talk about that? Yeah. No, that's right. I mean, you know, uh, Sarah Sanders, when she was Sean Spicer's uh, deputy, you know, she would come to us after Sean would blow his top and say, you know, guys, uh, sorry about that. Sean's had a rough day and that sort of thing. Please understand. And, you know, we'd have drinks with Sarah occasionally and hang out with her on the press charter and that sort of thing. Uh, And we had good relations with her, just as many of us here in Washington had good relations with Sean Spicer when he worked at the RNC. Oh, yeah. I've known Sean a long time. I was, I mean, he's always been a little um, curmudgeonly at times but not like sure. that. So, yeah. No. And, but for whatever reason, when they went to go work for President Trump, something happened. Uh, you know, I, I don't know if Kool-Aid was poured behind the scenes, <laughs> but they just became true believers and, and I think lost sight of the fact that they don't work for the Trump organization. They work for the American people. They work for the taxpayers. And so there was one example. Uh, this was the day when uh, President Trump uh, put out a tweet saying Kirsten Gillibrand would do anything for a campaign mm-hmm. contribution. I remember. Well, of course, I'm going to, of course, as a reporter, I'm going to ask a question about that. My goodness. And I was in the pool that day and I went into a pool spray and Sarah Sanders walks up to me and she goes, you know, Jim, he doesn't want to be asked any questions today. And I said, well, Sarah, I can't promise you anything. And she said, well, if you ask him a question, I can't promise that you're going to be allowed into another one of these pool sprays. And so that was a direct threat at me. And I write about it in the book because, I mean, the public, I think, has a right to know if the White House press secretary is going around and threatening reporters. You know, and then, of course, with the press pass incident, you know, they revoked my press pass. And I think Sarah will go down in history as a press secretary who tried to use a doctored video to smear a journalist. That would be me. And, you know, I don't take any joy in this. 
but, you know, uh, I, I think that it is emblematic of how she's handled her job. She's put protecting the president at, at all costs ahead of what should be her role, and that is working on behalf of the American people to help the press do their job in covering the administration. That is supposed to be the job of the press secretary, not somebody who will, you know, smear and defame journalists because they've irritated the president. Let's t- let's talk about that incident a little bit because that is like the the infamous Jim Acosta um, accosted a a White House staffer, and which was not the case at all. Um, the, right. the the mic snatching grabbing incident. Um, to what to what happened exactly? You talk about this in the book yeah. too, but uh, talk a little bit about what happened around that, and then what happened after. Well, I was asking the president a question that he didn't like. It was about uh, his characterization that a migrant uh, caravan heading towards the border amounted to what he called an invasion. And, of course, it wasn't an invasion. Uh, you know, It wasn't like Game of Thrones where there were flaming arrows coming across the border and catapults and whatnot. Uh, you know, these are folks coming in to try to appeal for asylum. Um, and we had a back and forth, and it you know, got testy. And then out of nowhere, and I didn't even see this coming, an intern came over and tried to retrieve the microphone. And my sense at that moment was, well, my goodness, this has never happened to me in my career. <laughs> I don't I think don't it's think ever happened should... ever in a, in a White House. Yeah, I don't. I just, you know, and I know she was just trying to do her job and um, and, and she's an intern, you know, uh, but I, I just don't think it, it is a good idea to set a precedent where staffers can come over and grab microphones from reporters. And I just thought I would, you know, you saw me kind of recoil in that mm-hmm. scene. And then, you know, I, I the press conference is over. I go about my business, do my piece and everything. I, I leave the White House grounds to go have dinner. And then I come back and this notification flashes on my phone. Jim Acosta's press pass has been suspended. And as I write about in the book, I walk up to the Secret Service gate to go inside the White House. And the Secret Service officers come out and they ask me for my press pass. And I thought, well, my goodness, I better document this because mm-hmm. – you know, who who knows what, who will say what. And so I got my phone out and I got video of the whole thing. So it, it was documented on video that I very respectfully and professionally said, here you go, here's my press pass. Uh, so there, there can't be any confusion as to what happened. And as it turns out, you know, we had to go to court to get this press pass back. And Tara, I don't know how, how great into detail you want me to go, but, uh, you know, one of the things that shocked me during the court case was that Justice Department lawyer paid for by the American taxpayer went into a federal courtroom and said, we believe it's the president's right to go up to any reporter, any news outlet and say, you're out of here. We don't even if we don't like your reporting, even if the if the basis for doing that is we don't like your reporting, their attitude was and their argument was that they can kick anybody out of the White House. And that if, had we been unsuccessful in our case, Tara, that would have just put a chilling effect on the press in the United States. And Absolutely. you could have seen governors doing it, mayors doing it. And all they all anybody had to do was say, well, look at what happened with the case of CNN versus Trump. And, you know, it's a good thing, I think, that we came out of that on top, because had we not, I think there would have been some pretty dire consequences. And what was also fascinating about that incident was how many of our competitors or colleagues uh, in the media joined forces to support you 
in that effort, yeah. which I think a lot of people didn't realize. That includes Fox News and MSNBC and, and others to say, wait, hold on. You know, we're all part of the free press. And in this country, this is a vital part of what makes America America. And this can't stand. So I, I thought that was right. an interesting aspect of that, too. That I thought got lost. Totally. Kind of the- yeah, no. I, and uh, I was grateful that Fox stood behind us. You know, uh, it was terrific. Um, now, you know, there have been folks on Fox who have said negative things about me, but there is a realization inside that organization that they do have to cover the news. And as I've been saying to folks, you know, listen, there's no guarantee that uh, the Republicans get to stay in the White House from here on out. And, you know, future administrations could come in mm-hmm. and they could say, listen, we're going to do to you what. Um, Donald Trump was doing to CNN. I hope that's okay. Uh, you know, we don't want a situation like that. And that's if somebody right. did try that, CNN would have their back. That's right. And so what was good about this whole, and I talk about this in the book, you know, members of the White House Correspondents Association, Tara, went to Sarah Sanders and said, you know what you're going to do here? You're going to unite the entire press corps. <laughs> and that's exactly what which, happened. Which is like herding cats. So it would have been quite the feat. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. Um, so what inspired the enemy of the people? What There had to be a moment during all of this, because it's been for many of us, this has been an unprecedented uh, um, moment in time in history for us who in politics and the media. What was the moment when you said, I have to write this book? And what made you decide to use that title? Well, it's funny. During the campaign, people would come up to me and say, you should write a book. And so I started saving, you know, anecdotes and things here and there. And then when Trump came into office, people would say, you should write a book. And I started saving things here and there. <laughs> um, and it's funny because there are conservatives who will go after me on Twitter and say, dear diary, dear. And well, it's, well, it's kind of true. I did right. kind of have a collection of material. <laughs> How could you so, not? You know, How could you not document <laughs> this, even if you didn't write the book? Yeah. Just to go back and the look at it. The criticism is somewhat accurate. Yeah. Um, but uh, it, it was the moment when I asked Sarah in the briefing room, do you disagree with the president when he calls us the enemy of the people? And she refused to do that. And it was at that moment when Harper Collins approached me and said, hey, would you like to write a book about this? And that, and to me, it was just, you know, it just felt like the right thing to do. I don't want this uh, next generation that we're handing off this country to, to think that it's okay for the press or any segment of American society to be referred to as the enemy of the people. I mean, my goodness, what in the world are we doing? Mm-hmm. Um, Tara, you and I have been around for a while. You and I both remember growing up when our parents and grandparents used to say, well, I want to hand off to my kids and grandkids a better country than the one we found. Does anybody say that anymore? I mean, we should be saying that. Mm-hmm. Folks your age... Uh, and in my age, we should be saying that. And we cannot honestly say that we're handing off to the next generation a better country if it's all right for folks to go around and call the press the enemy of the people or call this segment of the population the enemy we can't go down that road and so i'm just trying to fire off a flare into the sky uh, throw up a caution flag to say listen folks we need to think deeply about this and see if this is what we really want to do because my sense of it is when people think about it long enough it's not what they want to do now what do you say to your critics because not everybody loves jim acosta uh, and <laughs> you're kidding. I, I, well, you know, I love you, and that's wonderful. But um, a lot of there, there's been a Not lot of course. criticism of you because you 
what they would say is that you've now become the story. And that's what we're taught when, as journalists and, and journalists yeah. will never become the story. And some people say, well, that's your right. aggressive questioning of the president is just grandstanding. Um, yeah. In your book, on, uh, you say that Trump represented uh, a new kind of president that required a different playbook. What do you say yeah. to your critics that, that are critical of your approach? It's a good question, and it's a fair question, and I never wanted to be the story. I was raised in this business that reporters aren't supposed to be the story. They're supposed to do their jobs and ask questions and do stories and try to give the American people accurate, reliable information. But, you know, it's kind of hard to stay in your lane as a reporter when the president is trying to run you off the road, you know, and that's essentially the the situation we've been in over the last two or three years. You know, they put targets on us, and uh, – uh, unfortunately, we've had to, from time to time, stand up for ourselves. And I just don't think, you know, we should be uh, allowing ourselves to be bullied, you know, if he's going to call us fake news and the enemy of the people and so on. I think we're well within our rights uh, as journalists staying in that lane of straight news reporting to say, uh, no, Mr. President, that's not correct. Now, we're not, sta- we're not taking a position on a political issue on climate change or on, on his policies on climate change or tax policy or so on. We're, we're taking a position on something that's universal, that all Americans should believe in. There should be a free press in this country, a strong free press that's allowed to ask questions and hold you know, our leaders accountable and hold their feet to the fire, right? Mm-hmm. Speak truth to power. And as I write in the book, and I talk about this in the book, it's you can't speak truth to power if those in power are crushing the truth. And, uh, you know, I, I feel very strongly about that. I, I'll defend the way I've done my job and the way we at CNN have done our jobs. And listen, you know, as you and I have talked about this, and I talk about this in the book, when the Washington Post fact checker says that the president has uttered 10,000 false or misleading statements since the beginning of his administration, that is a that is a massive number of things to fact it's, check. And it's so we've, unbelievable. I, I we've, think had it's, to, we've had to fact check him in real time, yeah, and, and it's made right. our jobs difficult, and it's made them upset with us. But my goodness, were we supposed to let all of that stand? I just can't imagine a world where we would let 10,000 false or misleading statements stand as the truth that 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 we would not be doing our jobs if we did that you know in the book you talk about the day that um the news broke about pipe bombs being sent to cnn and to other critics of the president um and you just just now you said you know how how the media has been put in the crosshairs like literally at this point um how did that affect you because i know that it affected me and that same day, yeah. it, you know, my husband, I talk about how he's a federal officer. I don't say what agency to protect him, but he was yes, in the middle of that. And I, too, was on, an, on a plane coming back from L.A. You were going to the West Coast. I was coming back. Yeah. And I was like, it, my heart just sank because I've thought because of the president's rhetoric, it's been very dangerous. And just how rabid people have become. I thought, you know, we're going to see bloodshed one day. What, what did you think that day? Well, I my sense of it was is that we had just finally witnessed something that I had feared all along, that this rhetoric that's been aimed at us for the last uh, couple of years 
finally uh, crossed a line and uh, went too far and endangered journalists. And it, I was angry. I was pissed uh, when we found out that a pipe bomb had been sent to CNN and Democratic officials all over this country. We can't. Ha- that is not how we get things done in the United States. That our politics should never ever descend to that level. But you know, Tara, one of the things that we found out was after this person, this self-described Trump supporter, was apprehended in that white van covered in anti-media signage, we went into his social media accounts and we found that he had directed a number of death threats at me, mm-hmm. saying, you're the enemy of America, you're next. And I don't want to turn off our, our listeners here, but one of the images that was attached to one of these tweets was an image of a decapitated goat's head. And, you know, when this person when this person appeared in front of a federal judge, uh, he finally said, well, I just wanted to scare people. Well, you know, people were upset and unsettled by this. And my goodness, thank goodness that that pipe bomb did not go off. Um, we you know, that that would have gotten innocent people hurt. And so. So um, we just can't go down this road. And that is why at the time, you know, CNN's president put out a statement that said the president's words matter. And, you know, we can't have a president day in and day out referring to the press as the enemy of the people. As I write in the book, you know, Kellyanne Conway, who was a top official uh, in the White House, a counselor to the president, said to me she didn't dis- she didn't agree. She disagreed with the president's use of the term uh, enemy of the people. She called it fraught. Uh, and almost said the word dangerous, and then she sort of caught herself and stopped saying that. But um, they recognize inside the White House that at high levels that this kind of rhetoric is dangerous. And uh, my sense of it is, is that, you know, maybe he's not going to stop until things get worse. And I I hope that that doesn't happen. Uh, But they need to understand that words have consequences. Words have meaning. And, you know, I think you and I fully understand that the press is not the enemy of the people. And, and, you know, I think some of this started off as an act for this president, Mm -hmm. calling us fake news, calling us the enemy of the people and so on. But it's gotten out of his control, and they need to understand that. It's one of the reasons why I wrote this book is to say the American people, have, they have a right to know about this. Uh, do we like to talk about security situations and all that? No, of course not. But the American people, we can't just stick our heads in the sand and pretend that this doesn't exist. The American people have a right to know that journalists have felt endangered over these last few years. We just can't have that kind of situation. That's right. And uh, in the few minutes that we have left, because I know you're busy on this book yeah. tour promoting it, and I've uh, been really enjoying the, the, the book. My mom, when she found out I was interviewing you, was like, oh, my gosh, I can't wait to read the book. I love Jim Acosta. Oh, I said, good. well, good. You'll, I'll give it to you when I'm done. <laughs> um, Great. Uh, so uh, just quickly about Kellyanne Conway. Recently, the Office of Special Counsel recommended she be fired for her violation of the Hatch Act, which is Federal employees aren't supposed to campaign or do anything political while they're on the job, and they just scoff at it. You know, Kellyanne and yeah. I used to be friends, and um, I haven't spoken to her in a long time because she's turned into someone I don't recognize anymore. And she is one of the yeah. biggest enablers of what this president is doing publicly. Whatever right. she's doing privately, I don't know, but I know what she's doing publicly, and I think that she's creating a lot of damage as well, especially when she uttered the term alternative facts, which was one of the most Orwellian yeah. things that this administration has ever said and done. And there's been a lot of that. Um, In the lightning round, I want to lighten it up just a little bit. Uh, Well, actually, before I lighten it up, have you ever felt 
that your life was in danger. In your book, you talk about the covering yeah. Trump rallies. And I've never been to a Trump rally. I really have no desire ever to go to one. I have a certain amount of curiosity about that. But you have a whole chapter dedicated to this. What were what was the most yeah. shocking thing you ever experienced at a Trump rally? And then we'll get into the lighter lightning round as we end it. Yeah, I mean, you know, certainly, uh, you know, towards the end of the book, I, I lay out there were some moments where, where yes, I, I mean, I did feel as though it was possible that something could happen to me or something could happen to one of my colleagues. I thought it just had gotten that far out of control. Um, you know, there were moments at the rallies where, you know, you'd talk to folks and just, you know, wonderful, kind-hearted people would come up to you and say, hey, we're sorry that this kind of abuse is being directed at you and so on. Um, there was one man who came up to me and said, I just want to apologize for flipping you off at a rally, um, you know, a month ago or so. And that was really nice. I really appreciated that. But sure, yes, there were times where, you know, folks would come up to us and say all kinds of things. I had a guy in Nashville who for about 30 minutes would just yell scum, scumbag uh, while we were doing our live shots and just kept doing it. And it just seemed to be, you know, like, what's going on here? Why is this guy doing this? Um, you know, I had a lady come up to me in Columbia, South Carolina and say, you know, you got to stop asking these questions. You're going to start a civil war. People are going to start shooting each other. And I, I just, I would love to, and I talked to these folks because I, you know, I, if you don't talk to them, it, it escalates and it gets right. more and more um, volatile. I talked to these folks because I feel like there are folks who want to get these things off their, their chest. They've been absorbing, uh, you know, so much bad information about us in the press from conservative news outlets and conservative media outlets that they have this impression of us that is completely wrong. You know, like one guy asked me, oh, I, I thought it was interesting that you know how to say the Pledge of Allegiance. I was like, well, yes, I grew up, I grew up in this country. I'm an American. As a little boy in elementary school, I said the Pledge of Allegiance. But there are literally people at, at Trump rallies who will look over at us to see if we're saying the Pledge of Allegiance. To, they just want to make sure. Yeah, and make sure that you're like, actual real Americans and not part of this like, socialist oh, deep state oh, conspiracy, right? Yeah, but but my goodness, of course, I love this country. My dad's a Cuban refugee. My mom's parents are buried at Arlington National Cemetery. <laughs> I love wearing my red, white, and blue socks to Trump rallies so they can see. There it is on my, you know, on my on my feet. But you know, Jim, the red, white, a, and blue, you know, a sad state, though, that you actually yeah. have to prove your patriotism to these people because yeah. Trump has has actually been successful in getting all so many people, a large segment of the population to believe that the press is literally the enemy of the people and un-American. That yeah. just it, it stir, disturbs me to no end, which is why books like yours are so important, because people can see the human side. They can see from the inside yeah. what's going on. And, um, you know, I, I hope That's that people I hope read for. that and, and get that because it's uh, we're all real human beings trying to do the right thing here. Um, OK, what does Jim Acosta do for fun? Because I got to tell you, I know for me, it's exhausting covering this White House every day and what's going on. You are on the front lines, literally. What the hell do you do for some fun and to decompress? <laughs> well, there is no time for fun. So uh, there's there's that. No, but I, you know, I'm, I'm kind of a beach bum. You know, if you, I, I'm, my happy place is being on a beach. Me too. Uh, cracking open a cold one and just looking at the waves come in. Uh, that's that's probably my happy place. Uh, I go for, I go running. I'm a huge runner now. I run down on the mall on the, all the time. And uh, that's a stress reliever more than anything else. Um, but, you know, and I, I love being with my family, too. If I can be with my family as much as possible on the weekends, uh, going to a baseball game, that sort of thing, uh, you know, that that uh, puts more fuel back in the engine for me. But 
uh, you know, a, I'm a Jersey girl. Yeah. So being down the shore is my happy place. I literally have a picture <laughs> that says that this is my happy place. And right now, as I'm interviewing you, I have on my Jersey Shore uh, happy place in the summer t-shirt good so, for you <laughs> so we're well maybe we can crack open a cold one together sometime I, I, Sarah, and we'll, we'll hit the beach i would love it uh two more <laughs> questions for you what's the worst advice you ever got during your journalism career thus far worst advice people oh, always ask the best advice i like to hear worst advice <laughs> the worst <laughs> advice i ever got as a journalist um Where you were like God. are you kidding me with this no i'm not listening yeah. to that yeah. I mean, you know, I've had folks tell me while covering a hurricane, you know, uh, stand over here, stand over here. I have one, uh, one quick story when I was covering Hurricane Katrina down in uh, Biloxi, Mississippi, you know, and after it came through, I had a photographer say, you know, I need you to stand over here on this on this pile of mud uh, for this live shot. And as I'm doing the live shot, I didn't put this in my book. Maybe I'll put it in the next one. But <laughs> during my live shot, I feel this biting in my ankles and on my legs. And I'm like, oh, what's that the photographer had accidentally put me in a pile of fire ants and I had fire ant bites up and down my legs that did not go away for like two weeks and one of my feet like got infected because it was there were so many bites so that's probably the worst thing that has ever been you know offered to me in in terms of advice in a professional environment I never let that photographer live it down either I I wouldn't have either I wouldn't have either that's (laughs) awful um final question as we wrap up and thank you so much for being generous with your time, Jim. Um, yeah. This has been great. I mean, I could talk to you for hours because I just think what your, your experience is fascinating. Um, so my husband's 15-year-old godson is a, a young African-American high school student who is politically engaged. He's very curious about what's going on, pays attention, and he is leaning towards supporting Donald Trump and thinks that Trump, what's wrong with what Trump does? He watches Fox News, and of course, when I found that out, I said, oh my God, Sean, <laughs> we got to talk yeah. about this, you know, but there, this is a, this is an entire generation now that's growing up thinking that what's happening in the Trump white house is normal. Uh, what, right. what would you say to, to Sean, what, mm. what would you, be your advice to him and people in his generation who are starting to gravitate toward what Donald Trump is doing and thinking, yeah. well, I don't see what's wrong with this. Well, there's nothing wrong with loving your country and being patriotic. And uh, it might be a little strange when he hugs the flag that way, but I, you know, <laughs> um, but uh, I think it's a good thing to be patriotic and to love the United States. And uh, we need more of that in this country. So that's completely fine. Um, but I would invite people to think deeply about what we've seen over the last few years. Uh, is it all right uh, for the president of the United States to refer to journalists who are also Americans as the enemy? Uh, Is it all right uh, to pit one group of Americans against another? You know, what are the consequences of that down the road? Uh, When you have migrants coming across the border and because, you know, this administration is so opposed to that, that they think it's okay to separate kids from their parents. Uh, is that kind of policy in keeping with American traditions and values? Those, that's, that's one of the other questions that I raise in this book. Uh, when the president, you know, is confronted with the problem of Russian interference in our elections, should he agree with Vladimir Putin, who is certainly an adversary of the United States, or should he perhaps accept the view of the U.S. intelligence community that the Russians did, in fact, do that? So I think, 
you know, do we stand with our allies or do we st- stand with our adversaries? I mm-hmm. think, and I talk about this throughout the book and episode after episode, there are some very critical, crucial questions that I think all Americans have to ask. And yes, we all like our side to win and, we, you know, we all want, it's like, I, I just sometimes describe politics a little bit like SEC football, you know, I mean, folks want their, their team to win no matter what. Um, but we, but we're all on the same team. We're all Americans. That's the team that counts. And uh, I am not your enemy. You are not my enemy. Uh, we are all Americans. I feel strongly about that. And that's one of the things that I hope folks will take away from this book, that we're all on the same team and we need to think deeply about the kind of country we want to hand off to the next generation. Uh, so, you know, the kids and grandkids who are coming after us will have a better country than the one we found. That's right. I always say in the beginning of my podcast, in a time of universal deceit, telling the truth is a revolutionary act. And I think what you're doing, Jim, and others out there covering this White House are certainly generals in this revolution. And I greatly appreciate your time and everybody, the enemy of the people, a dangerous time to tell the truth in America by CNN White House correspondent, my friend and colleague, Jim Acosta. Get the book. It's excellent. Jim, best of luck. Best of luck with the book. Stay safe out there and keep up the good work. Thank you so much, Tara. I really appreciate it. Great talking to you. Thank you so much. We'll do it again. Big thank you again to my colleague at CNN, Jim Acosta. Make sure you check out his new book, The Enemy of the People, A Dangerous Time to Tell the Truth in America. Great read. Um, Good for you, Jim. Best of luck with the book. That's it for this week's edition of Honestly Speaking. Stay tuned for next week's edition. See you next Tuesday. Be sure to follow me on Twitter at Tara Setmayer or at honestly underscore Tara. Also on Instagram at the Tara Setmayer. Let me know what you think. Let me know who you'd like to see on the podcast. And um, I'm happy to answer any of your questions. See you next week. Thanks for listening.